host, Dmitry Filipovich. Welcome to the Hockey PDO cast. My name is Dmitry Filipovich, and joining me somehow for the first time ever, my pal Julian McKenzie. Julian, what's going on, man? Dude, man, uh, it's kind of funny. It's somehow for the first time because we've like connected on the internet a bunch of times, but we've never done any type of podcast or thing together. So it's it's an absolute honor to to be on with you, and especially on the show. Congrats again on on this new show, man. Uh, I appreciate it. Yeah, we we've we've tried to connect a number of times. I've tried to have you on my show. You tried to have me on your shows, and it's like we've never been able to make the timing work. So this is perfect, and it's a great opportunity for us to finally do it because we've got a really really meaty topic. To get into here you just published um kind of like uh i don't know how you describe it it's it's sort of like almost like a tell-all uh or like an oral history of the uh the blockbuster off-season trade that involved matthew kachuk jonathan huberto and Mackenzie weger and I, I wanted to use these 25 minutes here in the first block of the show today to to really just kind of talk through the process of, of putting it together and kind of what you learned throughout it and what the big takeaways were because i think you know i, I can speak for myself here but i'm sure all the fans as well and 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 um can feel the same way the peek behind the curtains of like seeing the machinations of how something like this comes together is so fascinating especially a trade of this magnitude but i think any sort of transaction in the nhl because we're often left like getting breadcrumbs and generally it's teams especially like well-run organizations choosing very deliberately what they release to insiders to to get out in the public in terms of their angle and what narrative they want to push. And so when we see something like this of like kind of like a really just open description of Matthew Kachuk's agent calling Brad Tree Living and then kind of how that started the snowball effect and and how it happened within five days, it's really cool. So I I, I really enjoyed this piece and that's why I wanted to do this with you. But I think fans like really appreciate this sort of stuff because it's it's so rare that we get a get like see how the sausage is made in a way. Yeah, and like I really wanted it to be shown in an oral history type of way as opposed to me trying to describe the story just because I feel like I don't know when you when you see when you read a piece like this and you see that like Alan Walsh said this or like Jonathan or Jonathan Berdo said this mm-hmm. or 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 Mackenzie Weger said this I feel like it kind of resonates more for these types of pieces not to say that other types of stories where you have the narrator detailing every single possible detail and then throwing in a quote here and there isn't as effective but i just think considering just some of the stuff i had and and, and some of the interviews i had to do to make the story work like i don't know like I, I felt like it was just like a really good opportunity to do that i'm also a big fan of putting together oral histories they take a lot of work but mm-hmm. when you're able to like i love i love and i know this happened a lot with like the huberto comments and, and the zito comments but like one guy says one thing and then you juxtapose it with something else like Zito say like you know what I'm not going to go in on what was said in the conversation that I had with Jonathan and then Jonathan be like well he only said 10 words to me like I love putting stuff like that together I really like I want to be a better storyteller and I think just that way of doing it uh, was just the best way for me to tell that story well I guess in a way it is a serious topic like in the grand scheme of things of life it's not for hockey fans it is especially Flames fans and Panthers fans it's a very serious uh transaction that happened between their two favorite teams but I love the unintentional comedy of oral histories like this where you can present a comment and it's sort of there's an implication but you're just presenting what the person said right and I, I actually laughed hysterically when I was reading it and I think you asked Bill Zito uh, what he was doing the night that the the trade the the trade actually officially went through, and he's like, 
Ah, oh, it's personal. I can't tell you. And I don't know what he was doing that night, but maybe we should be congratulating him. I don't know. It sounds like he was having a fun night. Um, I'll but, say this. Yeah. I'll say this. I think for every, almost every person I spoke to for that interview, definitely True Living and and Bill, I think was one of the first ones. That was that question about what was the first, what was the first non-hockey thing you did after the trade was over that I tried to make that the first question, just because I felt like that's just a good way of kind of easing everyone up at the beginning. So that way you're not just jumping into it being like, all right, so the trade, what happened? Uh, I think for Jonathan, I think the first thing I asked him was on a scale of one to 10, how, how fed up of you are, are you of talking about the trade? Because he had been like, I asked him about this, like during training camp. And like, even then, like people were saying like, well, yeah, man, like the trade, the trade, the trade. And of course, like it's his first time in that organization. So I was just trying my absolute best to kind of ease everyone up and, and make people feel relaxed at the be at the beginning. But um, I, I know Zito was saying like, okay, I think I watched TV. I think I did this. That's a good question. Uh, Brad Trilliving's answer, the fact that after all of that, you just sit in your office and you go to your beer fridge and you take out a beer and you just drink it. And you're just thinking, this is the most mentally exhausting week as I've ever had in my career. Like that was very personable. That was very honest. And I think that's why, like, I, like when I got answers like that, that's when I knew like, okay, I have a good piece. It's not just, I'll get, I'll give Brad a lot of credit for it. Cause we sat down for like 30 minutes and talked about this. Like he, he tried his best to come across as personable and, and not try to sound like a robot. And, mm-hmm. and I hope that people get that same feeling from him and some of the other characters in the story. I think the, the real, the relatability of it for a lot of the main characters in the story is very um, comes across very well from the element of uh, finding out about the news on Twitter, which is how a lot of us find out about stuff, right? You'd think that, especially if you're involved, you'd think that, all right, you're, you're a main piece involved in this. You're probably going to hear before everyone else and know. And then in some instances that wasn't the case here. And then, you know, uh, the, the comments that from Jonathan Huberto, I actually think they were from, from his agent, Alan Walsh, but it really stuck, stuck out to me was, he just wanted to like feel appreciated and wanted. And that's something that I think we can all kind of relate to. And it's, and it's something we don't typically ascribe to to professional athletes because they've spent their entire lives since they were, you know, kids, basically, if you're really good at the sport, basically being like put up on this pedestal and cherished and everyone wants a piece of you. And so for, for a player to kind of like reflect on that and actually just show that side of kind of humanity is very relatable. Yeah, well, there's a bigger part of the. Well, I don't know how big, how much bigger of a part it was, but there's a part of the story that never made it to the final cut, which details a conversation between Bill and Alan Walsh, like weeks before the trade even happens. Essentially, what happens is is that Alan is kind of led to believe that he's negotiating an extension for Jonathan, but the conversation doesn't really turn out that way, and then like Alan kind of leaves it thinking, well, something's off. And like, I would have loved, like, I would have loved to have kept that part in because I think that would have ultimately like, like you read that part and then you get to Jonathan and how he's feeling and wanting to be wanted. Like, I would feel that would just kind of ramp that up even more, but we live in a world of world of word counts. So like that didn't make it, but like, I I totally relate to the idea of, of Jonathan, you know, being in a situation where you've been appreciated or you feel like you've been you've been in a situation where you would, you felt you were being appreciated for so long, and then your GM or your boss just calls you and it's like, "Hey, thanks for everything, man. We're trading you to this place." You know, like I, I can I can 
I shouldn't say relate. I sympathize with that because this is a guy who who was drafted by the Panthers, spent as long as he did in that organization, comes off his best season with the organization to the point where, and I get this differs on who you talk to, but he's he's a borderline. He was a borderline MVP candidate. I think mm-hmm. we can agree he was that. We can't right. say he was a veritable one, but I think he was borderline. And he finally helps his team get through to the second round of, of something they hadn't done since like 96. You go through all of that and you're hoping, you know what, man, like next year we could find a way to get over that hump and build off a president's trophy winning season. And it's like, nah, bro, you're getting sent to Calgary because we want Matthew Kachuk on our team. Like, I, I, I feel for him. Well, and that's that's such a fascinating element of the trade. And you mentioned how, you know, for the for the sign and trade element, it, it was a very unique move in, in that regard. But I think also from the angle of a lot of these the all of the main pieces were kind of at the apex of their career. You know, differing in terms of age and you know, from Matthew Kachuk's perspective, the most recent time we'd seen him on the ice was a pretty embarrassing defeat at the hands of the of the Edmonton Oilers. And so that wasn't necessarily a pinnacle for him by any means, but in terms of the seasons they had, right, the number of points all of them had to put up, the the the, the accolades they'd received, the the fact that you know both teams were incredibly successful throughout the regular season and had kind of taken their franchises to new heights, and so all of a sudden to kind of flip the script like that, it's very rare, like especially in such a conservative league where once a team gets an elite player or someone that they've drafted, developed, like they do everything possible to keep them around for as long as they humanly can. Yeah, uh, man, like you you nailed it right there on the head. Absolutely. And then the fact that like Bill Zito was he said himself like this was so hard to just kind of put those guys, even if they were possibly at the like they're in like that peak year. Like we look at guys when they reach 28, 32, that's like that should be like the best years of their career. And that's a gamble in itself, right? Like you're 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 sacrificing for your defense core. And now they're dealing with with Aaron Eckblad and, and what he's got going on. So that's obviously taking a hit. Uh, Jonathan Huberdeau, again, like he, he had the best year of his career, uh, and, and was, was playing with some really good players in Florida. Like that was going to be a risk you were going to run, but for a guy like Matthew Kachuk, who I don't have all the fancy stats in front of me, but at least individually, like he's been able to do well on that front with his new team. And he's not in that 28, 32 range. Like he still has his best years ahead of him. Like I can understand why you try to make that risk. And again, Bill outlined it as, as well as he did uh, for my story. Like Matthew Kachuk is a hell of a player. He's coming off a 40 goal season and he's a personality too. Like I, I also understand why, like, you know, you go to flames. If I go to flames games, I'm still seeing a bunch of Kachuk jerseys and control right. jerseys. Those guys for, for the team doing what they can to be less of an individual minded team and try and be more team focused. Like those two guys meant a lot to that market. Those two guys meant a lot to those fans over there and uh you know they were really good players for them they were really amazing talents for that team and a guy like Matthew Kachuk I wonder how I I, I can't imagine fit Flames fans looking at the team they have now even though they have all the hopes that they have and seeing Matthew Kachuk doing as well as he's doing in Florida thinking oh yeah you know what man you, you go do your thing we're not thinking about you go off do your thing no like when, when a breakup happens and it's still sort of fresh you think about your ex a little bit. And I think yes. a lot of Flames fans, it wouldn't surprise me if they still miss Matthew. Well, at the at the risk of rubbing salt in the wounds, I'll give you some stats because I, I was I was looking this up and I, I've been writing about it recently. So in 14 games with the Panthers, Matthew Kachuk has given Florida the full Matthew Kachuk experience in every sense. Oh, of yeah. Word. He's got 15 assists, which is tied for eighth post. 
And when the trade happened, I think part of the logic for the Panthers was we've been this incredible rush team in the regular season. We can play incredibly fast, move up and down the ice. It's really fun to watch. It was really successful for us, but we bump into a team like, I mean, in, in round one, they got taken to the limit by a very inferior from a talent perspective, Washington Capitals team, but then, you know, bump into Tampa Bay and they just dismantle them defensively and they kind of go out without a whimper getting swept. And so they wanted to change the way they can attack. And Matthew Kachuk is one of the best players in the league at creating from below the goal line. And that's kind of an element that he's brought there. He's got 39 high danger chances, which are tied for fifth most. With him on the ice, the Panthers, you mentioned the fancy stats, have 65% of the expected goals, shots, and goals scored. I mean, they and shot and chances, like they've been amazing. And the reason why I said it's the full Matthew Kachuk experience. He's drawn nine penalties. He's taken 11. He's been suspended. Chaos has ensued every time. He certainly leads the league in post-whistle scrums initiated and involved in. And so you're getting the good and the bad, but ultimately the good is so much exceeding of the bad that you take it and you can see why the Panthers kind of push the chips in the way they did. And, and I think they're getting rewarded for it. 100%. Like, it's man, you listing off the statistics when it comes to him banging in those high danger chances, working down low and those chances for, I can think of a team like Calgary that could really use a player like Matthew Kachuk right now, because uh, without seeing the numbers in front of me, like their conversion rate on, on them shooting, like that's not where it should be. They're getting chances, but they need a finisher. And at some point, like, I'm not going to raise, I'm not going to ring that alarm bell now. But like Calgary at some point is going to have to find a way to get some top six guy to bury some goals. I know Tyler Toffoli's picking up his game, Elias Lindholm. Those two guys are working really well together. But the pressure's got to be amplified a little bit more on Jonathan Huberdeau to produce. Uh, Nassim Kadri currently leads the team in scoring. He started off with that six-game point streak. But I still think they need some kind of player who can get up there and, and finish and, and bury some goals. And if they had a guy like Matthew Kachuk still, I mean, obviously they wouldn't have Uyghur and Huberdeau. Right. But like that's a guy who would do a great job at burying those chances, especially of the high danger variety. Well, last week I did, I did a full flames deep dive with our pal, Ken Wilson. And a, a point I raised was it was a risk for, for Bill, uh, Brad tree living to commit to this team the way he did before ever seeing these p- individual pieces play a single game together. Right. Like they brought in so many different elements and essentially just spent a bunch of future financial capital and lock themselves into this group for the most part there, there there's ways to wiggle around it they could potentially move a defenseman to add one of those top six pieces but this is kind of the team they're going to have for the next four or five years for the most part at least and you know it, tree living in your piece made this point of all of a sudden you're talking about marrying someone that you haven't even dated right and yep i really wonder whether there was any real thought given to all right let's go into the season we just got Uyghur and, and Kachuk. Then, you know, eventually they signed Kadri as well. And that was a no-brainer based on the price they paid. And he's been excellent for them. But you go into the season with these two expiring free agents and you see how it works. And then if they mesh well with this group and the team looks as good as you think it could on paper, then you finally commit to them financially. I wonder if there was any thought given to that. Or do you think that the scar tissue was still so fresh of what they'd gone through with Goudreau and Kachuk that it was like, we cannot do this again within another calendar year. And so let's just commit to them long-term. Let's give them the money for the next however many years. And we'll deal with the consequences after because we cannot put ourselves through that and we cannot put our fan base through that again. I think of it from Huberto's perspective because he goes through what he goes through with the Florida trade. He ends up in Calgary where his the wounds from him, those mm-hmm. are very much still fresh. 
And if he goes into that new season and he doesn't have a contract, because remember, he's supposed to be a, a free agent at the end of this season. Yes. Like, how does that affect him? Right? Like, he might worry a lot about, oh, well, you know, how is Calgary going to keep me? Am I going to end up in another place? All these people are going to ask questions about my future and where I'm going to end up. I could think of a market in uh, in the eastern part of Canada that would love to have a player like Jonathan Huberto or God she knew, like they would say in French, who would be all over this player and thinking, hey, maybe he should sign a deal with the Montreal Canadiens and play uh, with all the young players being cultivated there. There was a lot of pressure that could go on there. And I know this. So this makes me think of and I know different type of player. But Phil Deneau, uh, in the 2021 season, where there were rumors about about whether or not the Canadians were going to re-sign him to a new contract, and there had been like a, an offer that kind of got leaked to the press, and he apparently turned that down, or I forget the details of that, but like the, the, the contract basically hung over his head, and Deneau had a terrible regular season. He did not score a lot, and people kind of made him the whipping boy. Then he ends up having a really good postseason, and then, you know, helps lead the Canadians to the Stanley Cup final. But, like, that's a guy who was in his contract year, and he did not have a good regular season. If it wasn't for that playoffs, he probably doesn't get the money he gets in Los Angeles. So all that to say, like, I've, I've seen the other side of it where, like, you know, if you go into a final year of your contract and you don't know what's going to happen with your future, it's not every player – not every player will take that as an opportunity to be like, all right, I'm just going to post up my best career numbers. And I mean, mm-hmm. there's also other factors that lead to that. But ultimately, I think uh, for Huberto, a guy who wanted to feel wanted somewhere, and the fact that the Calgary Flames showed that, I think that made it easy for him to say, you know what, I'm just going to sign with these guys long term and not have to worry so much about the fact that like, I don't know where I'm going to play next year. So I think the reason why they're kind of in the situation that they're in, at least with him, I think also has to do with what he might be feeling just personally about how his summer has gone and just wanting to feel, you know, like, okay, I want to play on a team that that wants me right now. Right. And not put myself in a position where I have to worry about where I'm going to play after. I think, I think that has a lot to do with personal stuff. Wow. I really wish someone would show how much they want me by giving me $84 million. That would, that would be, that would be, that would be nice. It's, it, I know. I, I know. That's right. Here's here's the thing. I completely agree with you. At the same time, I I'm sure he'd be highly, um, highly desired, highly wanted, uh, pursued, wine and dine and free agency. If he had played out this year and gone into free agency this coming summer, he was not getting this type of deal on the open market. I mean, he literally couldn't have gotten the eighth year from a, from a new team. But like, he wouldn't. He was not going to get. He would have been thirty years old. And I think teams have generally, for the most part, wisened up to, all right, we probably shouldn't be giving six, seven year deals to people who are in their thirties already, because we've seen how those tend to age. And Nazan Kadri not... got a seven year deal in Calgary. Yeah, he did. And for... he might've gotten more. That's true. That's and true. he's coming off his best year and a Stanley cup playoff run. If Jonathan Huberto has himself a really good year, here's the one thing you are absolutely right. That GMs should, I mean, at least us, like people on the internet, people who work in hockey media and all that, like we would hesitate at the idea of throwing all this money at a 30, 31 year old, never underestimate the power of a general manager who has money to burn and aspirations of being a good team. Someone out there might have given him something close to what he ended up getting in Calgary, even if he wasn't going to get an eighth year. 
Oh, I don't know. They might I, have done that. And that depends on how Huberto would have played this year. I think someone would have tried. I think someone would have thought about it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the Kadri point is, is a good point because he is already 32. So he's got a couple of years on him and he got to seven years. Um, only 7 million per only, I say. And, and yes, that's true. In air quotes. Like, cause, cause here's the thing. I mean, Kachuk, I, I remember when he got the deal he got, there was a bit of pushback from people from the Panthers, I should say, the eight year deal. Um, 9.5 per being like, well, this is buying high on him. He's not going to have as many points as he had last year when his on ice percentages were through the roof. He was playing in a perfect spot with Johnny, Johnny Gaudreau. And like, this is probably going to be his career year offensively. And now he has 20 points in 14 games. And, and regardless, though, 9.5 million for someone's age 25 to 32 seasons is is looking pretty good as a as a business decision and investment compared to 10.5 for someone who's already in their 30s, right? Like I think the amount of risk attached to that becomes significant. So I I just wanted to make that point just so it's it's not like uh, it's not like Jonathan Huberto was like ah uh, you know what like uh, I really appreciate this attention for Bradtree Living. I want to do you guys a favor and, and sign right now to make your life easier. Like he got a pretty good deal on this as well. He absolutely did. Yeah. Um, I don't even know if I consider it a favor. It's just like I really yes, just yeah. looking from his vantage point of like, you know what, man? Like this this team wants me here. They're trying to they're trying to win. All right, I'll I'll do this. Yeah, I know. I I completely agree with that. Well, okay, so I want to kind of work like read between the lines a little bit here before we go. Uh, from reading your piece because you noted that I bet I believe five days passed between Bradtree living officially finding out that Kachuk wanted to get traded and then the deal coming together. Right now it's funny. You mm-hmm. noted um, it happened on the evening of July 22nd. It had been sort of agreed upon before, but they had to go through the machinations of going through the league office channels and making all that happen. I remember that night I was like, it was a beautiful summer evening here in Vancouver. I'm sitting in a beer garden. I'm already a few beers deep. And then I just kind of look at my phone as I do in social settings for some reason. And I, I don't know why, but I look at Twitter and I'm like, Oh my God. And I remember like just saying some words that I probably can't repeat here on radio. Um, but it, it, it blew my mind. And I was I, like, my brain just started racing a million miles an hour and I don't even cover either team, but I was just thinking like, Oh man, I got to tomorrow morning. I got to get up early and really kind of sink my teeth into this and, and either oh do a podcast God. or write an article about it. And, and that's, that's, that's my, my thought process for when stuff like this happens. I'm sure it's like that for you as well, especially if it's a team you're covering, it's like, this is really fun. But oh, there's going to be a lot of work attached to this as well. Oh man, I remember that night. Um, I was actually out with a friend. Like we were like hanging out and like walking around and just like casually. I think we spent like a good chunk of the day like hanging out. And then like I I drop them off to their apartment and then I get in my car and then I check my phone. I'm like, wow, it's pretty late at night. And then I saw the details of the trade. I was like, holy crap, this happened like so late. And yeah, like it was cool to to hear from Tree and 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 Zito about how why this took so long. So like in the afternoon, at least in Mountain Time, they come together on a deal and the sign and trade portion, and it's like, all right, we have to send this into the league, and like they have to go through every single possible nook and cranny to make sure that this works. And because it's a sign and trade, like they've probably never really encountered it like that before i think the kevin fiala thing is closed because they but they traded his rights yes uh to los angeles and I, I couldn't think of any other situation that's happened before where a player literally signs and gets the full eight years and then gets flipped off to a completely different team mm-hmm. uh, i guess if i would could redo the story again it would have been cool i guess if i could talk to someone from like the league office to just kind of 
get a sense of like, well, well, from your vantage point, like, what are you guys looking at? But I don't know if they well, would have made themselves accessible. The league office was probably pissed because they're so used to like, here's a sixth defenseman for a third round pick. That's like the, the that's like the generic NHL transaction. So seeing like someone actually be creative and 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 kind of jump through these hoops, it's like, all right, hold on a second. Like this is a summer evening for us as well. You're you're giving us putting a lot on our plate here. Yeah, like it's all no, you're gonna trade this guy for this guy. That's that's nothing. Yeah. I can I'll even just take this break. But yeah. like the fact that we had to wait like six, seven hours before like this actually came through, like that is that is insane. And then hearing all the stories from everyone after the fact of like how they heard about it, that was also cool too. All right. Well, I'm really enjoying this conversation. Hopefully you are as well. If you are, uh stick with us. We're gonna take a quick break here. And then when we come back, we're going to keep chatting with Julian McKenzie about his oral history on the mega trade involving Jonathan Huberto, Mackenzie Weger, Matthew Kachuk, and the Florida Panthers and Calgary Flames from this past offseason. You are listening to the Hockey PDO cast streaming live on the Sportsnet Radio Network. happens in those five days right and and clearly there's some sort of like you know whiplash or or um kind of like emotional reconciling like tree living notes how like disappointed and angry he was initially and under- understandably so because it's like all right now i fundamentally have to change my team and i, I would have preferred to just have this player here for the rest of their prime um at the same time though i feel like he couldn't have like it wasn't like he was necessarily blindsided right because I think this this is something that we've been, you know, uh, on the message boards. It's one thing to, to to kind of be like rumoring, and then it's another thing to actually see this happen in in, in reality. But I think as soon as he had signed that initial three year bridge deal in 2019, I believe, considering the fact that it was like a pretty openly contentious negotiation, it took up until like a week before the start of the regular season at the time. And his comments, I remember at the time being like, "Well, I, I opted for a shorter term deal because." I want to keep my options open. I want to see where I'm at at the end of this. It was like, Hmm. All right. That's, that's an interesting way to frame this. <laughs> I, I, I can, I, I think you're kind of telegraphing what you mean here. And, you know, it's, it's smart business on, on Kachuk and his agents part, no doubt about it. Like I think every young successful player should be taking themselves up to one year, uh, one year away from unrestricted free agency, because all of a sudden we've seen this in the NBA, right? This concept of pre-agency where, you don't necessarily have that much leverage because you're still an RFA for one more year, but you have this threat, especially with arbitration rights that if you're not careful here, I will exercise this option to leave here and you won't have anything to show for it. So you better trade me now. And the player like takes full power of their destination or or their career and what they're going to do. And so on the one hand, I'm sure it was a surprise after the season Kachuk had had after the success the flames had had in the regular season, but at the same time, it seems like the writing was kind of on the wall for this. So what I'll say to that is Brad for Living did tell me that, like, you know, he did have conversations with with Craig like before the, the final phone call came. Um, I don't know if it's fair to say that he had a feeling 
that he was going to lean towards the decision that they were ending up picking. But I can imagine if you're in his position, you're probably hoping that you don't have to go along that route of trying to find a way to trade a player like Matthew Kachuk, not to mention the fact that you are already in a position where Johnny Gaudreau is going to leave. And that's like within days. So like that, that just obviously is, is like a swift kick to the lower posterior, you know, like that's, (laughs) that's not a fun feeling to feel for, for anybody as for the, the three year deal. Like, yeah, like I, I can imagine when you put yourself in that situation, uh, and if the negotiations were as contentious, like, yeah, you you essentially open yourself up to the potential of of maybe that player wanting to seek greener pastures um, elsewhere. And the fact that they ultimately were like, you know what, I don't want to sign here long term. I want to go somewhere. I mean, yeah, I want to. I mean, even Matthew Chuck too tried to say that, like, hey, you know, I don't know if they were just going to keep me for the final year, if they're going to trade me somewhere else. And then I was going to have to figure out all the, if, if I was going to, if I was going to stay with that team or play somewhere else after that, like there's a lot that he was trying to consider with that too. Uh, but they ultimately decided on, on what they did. So, yeah. How, I guess this is kind of tough to, it'll be purely speculation, but how, how related do you think all these things are? Right. Cause I imagine, part of the thinking for the flames, even after that contentious negotiation a couple of years ago was all right, if we build something successful here, the player, regardless of their feelings right now is going to want to stay right. Like if we're winning, if they're putting up great numbers, they're in a position to succeed. We can convince them to stay like teams talk themselves into that angle all the time. And throughout the regular season, it was like, this is a dream scenario for everyone involved, right? Lindholm, Goudreau, Kachuk all had career individual seasons. The team finishes with 111 points. And then clearly it comes crashing down and burning in round two against the Oilers. And, and that sort of flips the script a little bit. But I, I I wonder like how related all of these moving pieces are where if they had taken care of Goudreau previous to, to last year and kept him long-term, all of a sudden, does that change the calculus? Like I'm really, you know, not to, not to dig up old wounds here, but I'm really curious about how uh, the trickle down effect of how like, or domino effect of how one of those things all of a sudden led to multiple other scenarios. I think it's a great question to ask. And I will just kind you of reiterate never, again. You would like, never get an answer, like a true answer, right? And maybe you'd have to give oh, yeah. here on, but yeah. I'm even willing to say too, like I know a lot of people have made the point about it on the story. Like when, when Matthew was talking about like, you know, him going to the realization of realizing he didn't want to be there anymore. I could, I could say like, you know, I could understand why people feel like, Oh, I want more out of that answer. I don't feel Matthew was going to give me the full answer on why he was going to leave. And that's fine. That's fair. You can keep that to yourself or, you know, whatever you want to do with it. Um, In terms of whether or not it's all related. I mean, it's the risk you run, I think, with a contract like that, with a player like that, as as good as he's been, uh, and, and considering what they went through in the in the playoffs, maybe if they go to the third round, they win that series. Maybe that entices him to try to finish the job and 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 go at it for for another set of years. Maybe similar deal with Johnny Gaudreau as well. Um, yeah, I, I it's it's tough for me to say whether or not it is or isn't, but I will just say that it is a fair question to ask. How close were you or how tempted were you to asking Alan Walsh about whether he ever considered doing some sort of a meme with a sword sticking through Jonathan Huberto's back? <sighs> oh man. I, Oh man. Now I'm mad. I didn't think about that because it did not cross my mind at because all. Here's the thing. I, like oh I, I, ima- I imagine Alan 
who's a very powerful <laughs> man in hockey that always has his finger on the pulse and feels like he wants things to run through him, understandably so, and has a very powerful agent and a uh, powerful client and Jonathan Huberto here. Like I imagine he, it didn't sit very well with him being kind of blindsided and he left out of the dark. And, and, and you know, the, the flames did that sort of intentionally, or I guess both parties did because they really wanted to keep it close. They didn't want leaks. They wanted to expedite this process. And it's mm-hmm. a lot easier to do so when people aren't tweeting about it. Um, but I imagine that was like a very a passionate, frustrating moment from him. And I was actually surprised by how subdued his answers seemed when you were asking him about like that concept of finding out uh, after the fact, as opposed to being kept in the loop throughout the process. That's hilarious. Yo, like, here's the thing. Uh, as someone on a beat for a team for the very first time in my life, like full time, as opposed to mm-hmm. what I was doing in Montreal, where I was kind of like a third stringer, like I'm still getting to. I'm still getting used to the fact that like an agent like Alan Walsh might want to actually talk to me. Uh, so like, I, I just, the idea that like I could go to him and be like, Hey man, so you're going to make that meme with like a sword going through, like, we're going to do that. I'm mad that it didn't cross my mind. Um, but definitely the fact that he was, he was just like, yo man, I didn't see this coming or he thought something was up I, again, just bringing up that part that got cut from the story about his conversation with Bill Zito. Like, the fact that he felt like something was off from like the Montreal draft. And then like on a random summer night, his spidey senses, he usually, Mm -hmm. he actually used the phrase spidey senses are going off. Like one, that makes the story Two, Like that just goes to show like how this business is as crazy as it is. But uh, I'll say this about Alan Walsh, man. Like, (laughs) man, I I really don't know. Uh, (laughs) Man. Could you imagine if he did that? Like I wish Alan, Wal- I, I... Alan Walsh. I always thought it was crazy that like Alan Walsh as a player agent establishes himself as the as his sports like. What's the phrase I want to use here? I don't want to say like their most notable personality, mm-hmm, but the right. fact that he is a personality kind of speaks to the quality of personalities we have among NHL players. Yeah. And I always, I'm always interested in that. I know someone did a profile on that years ago, but like, that's really interesting to me that a one agent, and I guess the only other agent I could think of who holds that much like power and credence as a, as a public figure, maybe a Drew Rosenhaus in the NFL or Scott Boris in major league baseball. But like the fact that Alan Walsh, like the fact that we could sit back and, and think like, man, like this dude could easily make a meme if he wanted to, or he actually, you know, he doesn't have to do that. He has a podcast. Yeah, he could right. easily just go on his podcast and be like, this is what they did. Da, 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 whatever. Like, I think that's wild that Alan Walsh has that power. I mean, you, you were saying, you know, first time covering a team on a full on a full time beat, an agent wanting to talk to you like this. I mean, you're you're technically coworkers, though. I feel like you could go to them kind of peer that's to peer true. and and, and be that like, is oh, very true. But oh, also, is, like, this is I, for the podcast game, you know that. That's true, but like at the same time, like there's a professional thing I right. have to do with yeah, this, right? Yeah. Like, I don't want to like I, like I get that like we are teammates because of the Steve Dangle Podcast Network, but also at the same time, like there's jobs we have to do. Like at the end of the day, like. I appreciate the fact we're teammates, but like, I know he's going to be more loyal to his clients and that's his job. And I'm going to be more loyal to my job. That's my job. I think he's still got me blocked on Twitter. Cause I used to make fun of uh, Andre Pavlik, one of his clients way back. Oh in my the day. God. And I honestly, I, I think Pavlik made it pretty easy for me at the time. And it was when I was a younger, oh, younger man. analyst. So I was just, you know, I was, I was letting it rip. And uh, I think Alan didn't like that too much. So he's, uh, he's still got me blocked on Twitter, but good time. So, so, is, so do you want me to put in a good word for you? Is that I, it? 
I do. I mean, listen, I, I'd love, I'd love to, I'd love for him to follow me. I'd follow him back. I'm curious. I want to see all the memes. I don't want to have to be going trying to find them elsewhere. So, um, is there any other bits that you they, that you've wanted to include or you wanted to get to, but it just would have been too sprawling of a piece because you mentioned the word account. I totally understand how that works, and and you know you've got you got to get it out there. But at the same time, this is like such a juicy story, right? I, I feel like you could approach it from like a million different angles. You did a great job. You covered oh, all the more important ones. But whenever there's something like this, it's like, oh man, I, I, I wish I could have gotten to one, this one other thing as well. I think one other thing I would have liked to have done, but I actually didn't really invest in it too much because, you know, Huberto and Kachuk are the main centerpieces of this deal. It would have been cool to go in more on on uh, Mackenzie Weger's side of it. And I know he kind of mentioned with how he heard about the trade, but also how that affects him. And I really liked how what he said, uh, and I put it near the end of the piece where he's like, you know what? I didn't get a chance to say any goodbyes to any of the Florida fans. So, you know, and, and they meant a lot and all that. Another thing, uh, and this is more just like a funny thing I thought of. I remember telling my dad about this piece that was going to drop and like telling him like, hey, you got to read it. You got to be excited about it. I got all these people to talk about it. And then my dad was like, so what does Daryl think about it? And I just like froze up for like three minutes, just like, oh, crap. I don't have anything <laughs> from Daryl Sutter. I just felt so like bad. And my dad's like, oh, well, that's just me like personally just wanting to know. And I was like, no, well, thanks, dad. Like, I wish yeah. I talked to Daryl Sutter for this this piece that I think is like the best thing I've written for the athletics since I joined. Wow. I don't know if you would have gotten too much content from Daryl. But... Probably not. But like just hearing that in the moment just made me think like, ah, oh, man, <laughs> I love that. Um, all right. Well, this is the part of the show where we, uh, we start to put a bow on it and sign out. Um, before I let you plug some stuff, is there any other elements of the story that you wanted to you touch on? Or do you think we, 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 we did it justice? Cause I think we, we, we rattled through a lot of my notes here, but, uh, you know, yeah, I don't, I don't want, I don't want to regret forgetting to ask you something important here. Yeah, man. That kind of reminds me of a question I like to ask people a lot where it's like, um, is there anything about uh, this story or topic I asked? I, I, I'm just, we're discussing today that I didn't ask you. And mm -hmm. I try to like ask that to everybody. And some people just be like, nope, you covered everything. And then yeah. some people just be like, no, you know what? Like X, Y, Z. And sometimes you get like the best quotes out of it. Like I yeah. love, I love that technique with, with asking questions. Well, I I didn't want to do like a generic interviewer technique on you here, but I, I I'm totally with you because sometimes people have something they really want to get off their chest and it's actually like the most interesting part of the story and you just totally spaced on it and you're not thinking it. And then all of a sudden they just like unload on you and you're like, oh my God, thank God I did this because it would have been a mess otherwise. Yes, I've I've been there. I guess just the only thing I could really say is just like, thank you to everybody who's been reading this. Like, I don't know, like I, I felt like uh, this was an idea I really wanted to do for a, for a while and I'm happy with how it's turned out and 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 the artwork and and shout out to to um Israel Fair and Mark Wallman for for editing this piece and getting it over the finish line and uh I think John Bradford is the name of the illustrator here who got all the photos and kind of made them look the way that it did like I I'm really happy with how it came together and I just want to show those people uh thanks how are you how are you liking the daily grind of you mentioned the first time covering a team like this I mean there's it's tough because on the one hand you it's it's it can sometimes be challenging to come up with new topics i think this is a pretty good spot for you to start with because there's so many new pieces and i think fans of the flames are probably so interested in kind of learning about this team and figuring it all out and sort of 
you know, trial and error and, and all that. So I think it's like a pretty good spot. It's not like a very stale situation where you're walking in and it's like, oh God, everyone already knows everything here. I'm just going to be regurgitating stories that we've all read for the past couple of years. So it's a good spot, but at the same time, I'm, I'm sure it's got a ton of challenges. Yeah. Like my thing is like, I don't want to come across like my, my goal is to put out ideas, concepts, stories like what I put out yesterday that you can't get anywhere else. And that requires me to be a smarter, just a smarter media person, smarter journalist. Like I, I look at like, like the fact that we're in an age where advanced statistics have taken such a foothold in, in hockey coverage. And that goes thanks to people like Dom, to people like Shana, yourself, you include, you included in that. Oh, like you, I'm, I'm still learning so much when it comes to that and I try my best to incorporate as much as I can uh, but also at the same time like I know I'm getting a sense that people in Calgary I don't know how it is for other markets but like they don't just want like an article where it's just numbers thrown at them right. like for I know for me like I was I was not great at math like I would hate that you know so I, I still want to be able to, to show I could tell stories and 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 get the day-to-day stuff and you know, talk to people one-on-one. The best thing about the job is how accessible the players can be on a given day. Like coming from Montreal where uh, people want to talk to players all the time. And like, especially in the, as we were just getting out of COVID, all of our media veils were basically just like, you know, they put a guy on a podium or or just behind like a little like table and they're, they're talking to everyone. Everyone gets the same quotes. But like in, in Calgary, like while we do have some of that, like, I, I have the opportunity to take a guy on the side and just be like, hey, like, what can you tell me about X, Y, Z? Like for the Adam Rizishka story I did over the weekend, uh, just by happenstance, I was talking to Tyler Toffoli that morning and I just got some quotes from him about Rizishka and I got to use them in my story. Like that is something that I want to do more and more of uh, as a way to kind of stand out from the Eric Francis's of the world, the Wes mm-hmm. Gilbertson's of the world, the yeah. Aaron Vickers, like all those guys, like they're really good at their job and they're really great. Uh, but I also want to match and surpass what they have with what I bring to the table as well. So, so there's a lot of that to still uh, kind of corral down. Well, I think you're doing a great job and thank you. Also getting to work with, with CJ as often as you are pal, Chris Johnson is, is great because First off, I love CJ. He was incredibly, uh, you know, forthcoming and, and welcoming when I first started. I, I remember, I, I don't know if I've shared this story on the podcast before, but um, one of my first shows, I was like just railing on mainstream media, which I guess I wasn't still at the time. Or I, I, I hope I'm not even even now I know this show is, is running on sports day, but I, I don't think of myself that way. But I was like, I, I hate the coverage of the NHL. I hate the way the media portrays this stuff, this and that, this and that. And then he like, out of the blue, we had never talked before. He emails me out of the blue and he's like, I really hope I'm not one of those five media members that you, that you, that you mentioned on the podcast. And the first <laughs> off, I was like, wow, this is, it's cool that Chris Johnson's listening to my show. But also I was like, no, like you trust me, you're one of the good ones. And so we kind of like established a, a relationship from that. And I know that, you know, you mentioned like getting quotes and talking to people. I don't think there's anyone in the game that's better at like exuding, uh, like a shoulder for you to be able to not cry on, but to, to, to talk to than CJ. Like I've seen him work and, and the way people just open up to him and just like tell him stuff that he can use later for stories and stuff like that is, is incredible. So uh, yeah. ta- you got to tap into that wealth of knowledge. Cause he's got a lot of tricks of the trade. Oh man, he does, man. It's the cool thing about CJ, especially like in doing the podcast with him, like we try our best to have, like, especially when the conversations are good, 
like they shouldn't be any different that like if him and I went to some random bar in a yeah. booth somewhere and he's like explaining it that same way, like even in the way that he looks like he's wearing like a hoodie or he's wearing like that bear hat that he wears all the time. Like that's what he would do if we were saying, all right, dude, we're going to hang out at this bar. You want to come? Like he would pull up that way in the few times I've gotten to like hang out with him, like beyond the podcast. Like that's what he would do. And hopefully we we tried to convey that same feeling while at the same time you still get to learn a lot from him and and i've learned a lot from from him and he's given me a lot of context too and and he's been really really helpful i'm I'm eternally grateful to siege yeah i'll give him my best i'll let you let you, let you plug some stuff you can plug where people can check out the story that we talked about today and kind of like all the stuff you're working on because you've got a million things on the move I'm, I'm i'm really impressed by your ability to juggle it for me it's like I write at EP Ringside. I do that once a week. I do this podcast now every day. And I don't think I could take on any more other work responsibilities because if I had another job here, I'd, I'd absolutely lose it. Damn, welcome to my life. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, man. Uh, I'm on Twitter at JKA McKenzie, M C K E N Z I E. Uh, you can uh, check out my latest uh, on the Kachuk Huberto trade at The Athletic. Uh, I don't know what deals we have at The Athletic right now. It feels like we always have a deal, right. but uh, I'm sure you could uh, find some kind of deal that works for you and subscribe. Because look, I mean, I, I think I'm doing an okay job there, but my colleagues across the NHL vertical are really good. And I, I mean, look, Sportsnet, they have some really good people there, but I'm going to rep the home team here and say, hey, we have some guys who are just as good, if not better. You know what I'm saying? So, oh, uh, you better be I careful. Hope, I hope Sports Set doesn't get mad at me for saying that. Uh, but uh, yeah, man, subscribe to The Athletic is a great place. Also, subscribe to uh, The Chris Johnson Show. Um, subscribe to uh, The Athletic Hockey Show as well. I'm on the Monday show with Ian Mendez. And also, check out uh, Sport um, Zone Time, uh, the Yahoo Sports uh, yeah. hockey podcast that I do every week with uh, uh, Samantha Chang. Uh, Avery Lewis McDougal, uh, Tic Tac Tomar, Arun Srinivasan is also tapped in for a couple of episodes as well. Um, I think it's like the best like group chat-esque hockey show that's out there. And 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 that's no shade to the drop on ESPN. I'm coming for everybody, man. I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> uh, dude, man. So just check out all my stuff if you can, man. Thank you. I love that. Uh, this is awesome, man. I'm really glad we finally got through this and connect on a show. Yes. Uh, certainly. Yes. Now, now, this now is a we... long time coming, people. We've now been trying we... to make something work for a long time. <laughs> now that we've done it, the floodgates can open. We're going to make this a regular thing. Julian, keep killing it. This was awesome. We're going to check back in with you. Thank you to all the listeners for checking us out. If you enjoyed what you heard, first off, go check out Julian's piece on the Athletic. Also, smash that five-star button wherever you listen to the show. And we're going to be back tomorrow with more here on the PDO cast. Thank you for listening to us streaming on the Sportsnet Radio Network.